Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. The following episode may contain inappropriate material. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Bruce Valange. Remember on Hollywood Squares, the guy to the left of Whoopi, if that's possible? I'm listening to John Orlando on the PVD cast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of the PVD Cast. I am your humble host and your podcast purveyor, John Orlando, and welcome to episode number 251. And before we start talking about this episode, I would just like to thank everybody for all the kind words and the congratulatory statements and whatnot. On last episode, the big 250th episode of this beloved podcast, and uh, one of the comments that I got over and over again from several different people was the comment that, well, we thought it was just going to be a wrestling episode since Stevie Ray was joining you. And boy, oh boy, were we surprised by all the different topics that you two covered. And uh, hey, that's that's what makes it a great episode is where you think you're going to stick to one topic and then you branch out and you hit all these other topics. And uh, once again, I appreciate Stevie Ray giving me the opportunity to talk to him And thank you to everybody who's checked out the episode. And thank you to everybody who continues to support the PVD cast. I I really mean it. I really appreciate it. All right, but let's talk about this episode, number 251. I am going to be joined by David Whalen, an independent comic book creator from New York. Uh, He is the man behind Correct Handed Comics. And I know that's a very odd title for a publishing company, Uh, And you're going to find out why it's called that. You know, the one thing I got to say that I appreciate the most about this episode is, as you're going to hear, David has a lot of projects. And for some of them, he is a one-man gang. He scripts, he draws, he inks, he colors, he publishes, he does it all. And I got to say, that's a heck of a work ethic. And so tip of the hat to David for that. But it's a great conversation that we recorded a few weeks ago. I believe it was in the middle of August when David and I connected. Uh, But give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Let me just get right on into something that is very important, and that is to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the great sponsor of World's Greatest Comics. They're located at 5974 Westerville Road in Westerville, Ohio, and they have everything you need for your comic book fandom. They've got single issues, Graphic novels, collections, uh, collectibles, posters, back issues, basically anything you need, they got. 
So stop on over to the store or you can visit them online. Their website is wgcomics.com and they're even on Facebook. Just search for at wgcomics and Facebook and you're sure to find them. And no matter how you interact with them, whether you stop by the store or whether you do it online, please let them know that you heard about the store from me right here on the PVD cast. With that little bit of business out of the way, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. And on the other side of the break, you're going to hear my conversation with David Whalen from Correct Handed Comics. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this afternoon, I am joined by Mr. David Whalen. David, how are you doing? Good, John. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'm going to let the listeners know that you are the man behind Correct Handed Comics. Well, I have to ask, um, what's the story behind the name? Uh, So I am left-handed. So uh, throughout my entire life, people, you know, notice once they notice you're left-handed, it seems to be all that they want to talk about. How can you write with that? The wrong hand, the wrong hand. You're writing with the wrong hand. I get that a lot. Uh, especially when I was a, a, uh, worked as a server in restaurants and bars and things like that. Uh, so I started saying, well, I'm, it's not, you know, I'm not left-handed. I'm your right-handed. I'm correct-handed. So it was just a, a little joke that I used to make to customers and to people just in general when they noticed that I was left-handed. And when I, about four years ago, when I decided to you know, go out and branch out on my own as a publisher, I had three or four different ideas for, for names in mind. And then, uh, one day I remembered that old joke that I had made, you know, haven't made in 10 years uh, as a server in restaurants. I said, that's, that's perfect. It's a great visual. It's a, it's, I think it's a name that sticks out and it's something that um, kind of gives a little bit of information about me personally. I, I'm going to share that the story, and I don't remember this, but this is the story that I've been told through the family that I was supposed to be left-handed, but my father broke me of the habit, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, if I would pick up the fork with the left hand, he would switch it to the right hand. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't remember any of this, but that's the the mythology in my family. <laughs> yeah, I too could have been correct handed. <laughs> yeah, I had teachers growing up, they would stand over you and, uh, you know, watch you write or whatever. And they'd show you how to do it and they'd give you the, the pencil and put it in your right hand. And I always switched it over to my left hand. I can remember teachers standing over me, hovering over me like gargoyles. Every time I'd move the pencil to the left, my left hand, they go, oh, no, 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 no. And they'd move it back to my right. And I just, I was just a stubborn child, I guess, and said, I kept moving it over. And I think they just gave up trying to get me to break the habit of being and uh, using my left hand, luckily. Um, but uh, yeah, I've heard stories. My grandpa used to tell me stories of kids that they would tie their left hands down to the chair so that they couldn't use their left hand uh, to, to write with. It's, it's amazing. Uh, the things that people latch onto and think that are weird when it's just, you know, it's not weird at all. But it's definitely a, it's definitely a right-handed world, I can tell you that much. Yes, I imagine it is. <laughs> I, you know what? In fourth grade, I broke my right wrist, and I had to learn to write left-handed. Mm-hmm. And I got really darn good at it, but as soon as the cast came off, I don't know why I went back to what I guess might be considered comfortable and I went right back to the right hand, but I, I vividly remember practicing, you know, left-handed writing my name and stuff so I could finish my assignments in fourth grade. And uh, yeah, so I, for a brief period of time, I guess I could consider myself ambidextrous. 
yeah, most left-handers, I think, uh, you know, do if they're if they write or draw with their left hands, they probably kick right hand, right-footed, or bat right-handed because that's just the way, or you know, whatever sport they would use, that's just the way that they would see it. And that's the way that whoever would teach them would teach it to them. So I, I bet that 98% of the left-handers out there are ambidextrous in some, on some level. Mm-hmm. Well, before we start talking about your projects and your history in self-publishing, uh, I, I asked this question to everyone that comes on the PVD guys, especially since March, uh, how has the uh, COVID situation impacted you? Yeah, it's been real weird. Uh, I'm a teacher. So I teach elementary school uh, art. Uh, so I'm really lucky I get to draw all day and all night, uh, usually with either uh, kids that aren't mine, that are students of mine, or with kids that are mine. I have two children myself. So when, uh, when this whole thing started, uh, it hit pretty fast where I, was, uh, where I am in upstate New York. So it was within two days, the principal saying, okay, this might be a thing. And they said, okay, now it's the thing. So go home. We'll figure it out. We'll email you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and quite honestly, the first couple of weeks was, was tricky trying to, uh, trying to communicate with students who, as the elementary teacher, I have 400 students that I would see in the span of a three-day schedule. So I had a lot of students that I had to, to get in touch with fairly quickly. Um, but once we got used to it, once we got into the swing, it, it, it was okay. I, I was really lucky to have a lot of parents that uh, knew that while their jobs were clearly very difficult jobs that they, they could see that we as a district and, and me as a teacher were trying to contact, uh, by trying to do our jobs, trying to contact the kids as best we can, give them an outlet for their creativity. So um, as we moved on to the to, you know, uh, April, May, June, um, it got a little bit easier and the kids were really excited to do, you know, something with me that was different than math or history or whatever it is virtually. Um, and by the end of the year, I, I think it was it started to be kind of fun. My kids are dynamos in school, so they just got on the computer and did their work. My actual children, uh, they're, they're dynamos, so they didn't really seem to miss beat uh, when we had to stay home. Uh, so really, I would say that a lot of the effects that it had on me was positive um, because I got to spend more time with my kids and my wife and my family. I got to, to spend um, a, a little bit more of that quality time with students who maybe I wouldn't be able to um, to uh, spend that quality time with face-to-face because there'd be 20 other kids in the classroom. Uh, so it was it was a lot of positive things as a teacher, negative things, of course, because we're not really in the classroom doing the things that we wanted to do. I wasn't able to do some of the things that I would want to do as a teacher because I didn't know if the kids on the other end had the equipment to be able to do mm-hmm. painting and small sculpture and scissors and construction paper and all that stuff. So we kept it really simple. But... Um, it was, I think, for the most part, all, all said and done, you know, I try to always see the positive uh, in especially these kind of situations. Uh, and the positive was more time with my family, more time to really focus on uh, what I was going to do this year when this year starts up. Uh, and really, quite honestly, a chance to be able to focus on some of my own work, uh, comic books and creating comic books and, and meeting as many different indie creators as I possibly could. So it's it's in, in the negatives, in the cons, there's been some pros in there also, and I try to focus on those. All right, David. Well, let's let's jump on into some of your projects. Uh, okay. Your flagship title for Correct Handed Comics is The Offspring. Yes. Can you give the listeners a brief kind of maybe summary or synopsis of the book? Yes, the book is about three young adults. They're all 19, 20, 21, and they um, grew up in 
uh, abusive homes. They were physically, they were mentally uh, abused as children. When they were taken out, taken out of their homes uh, by child protective services, they were put into an alternative school where none of the Italian X-Men Academy or anything like that, where all the kids have powers. These kids just happened to be the ones that that um, were connected to each other through these powers that they found out that they had. And I do a lot of flashbacks to be able to show that kind of stuff when they're little kids to be able to show how they're connected. Well, they come to find out that they're not just connected by their powers, they're connected um, in other ways also. Um, and as the story grows, they start to realize why they're connected, why all this weird stuff is happening to them. Um, and I really just like to say um, Monsters and Mayhem, Action Adventure, Monsters and Mayhem, is what I like to say, and we're about to publish issue 13, which answers a lot of questions. I'm calling issue 13 the end, like the season finale. So when we get into uh, issue 14, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like the next season, season two, that's going to um, even, uh, even greater go into why they have these powers, uh, why they're all connected, why these three children are connected, these kids are connected to each other. And there's actually one more missing uh, link to their threesomes. So there's actually a fourth young adult that they don't know where this this person is. They need to go find them. So um, it's it's been a really wild ride of trying to draw uh, as much weird and cool stuff as I possibly can. And these first 13 issues have, have been really exactly what I want the uh, the comic to be exactly exactly how I want to develop these characters to be able to keep moving from issue to issue to be able to show the growth and the weirdness of these. Uh, of these events that happen to these kids. You know, you, you beat me to one of my questions. Um, I have down here that you have 12 issues out right now. I, I did not know the 13th was coming out soon, or you could just repeat for me, is it already out or is it coming out? 13 is coming out soon. I'm, I'm putting on the finishing touches right now. So my plan is to get it uh, out before school starts up in September. Um, and right now, if I keep doing what I'm doing, that should not be a problem. So, uh, you know, in, as any creators, Something always, you know, could come up, but I don't, I don't uh, foresee any problems. It's going to be out um, for September. Okay. How many issues do you plan on having the title go, or are you kind of just playing it by ear, so to speak? Do you have a ballpark and you're like, I'm going to try to get to these many issues and, or are you saying I have the story arc and I'm going to finish the story arc, whether that takes 18 issues, 22 issues, 60 issues, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I have a I have it all planned out. Um, each story arc is going to continue, keep continuing the story forward, and you'll you'll get more pieces of the puzzle as it goes. And I'm thinking I could probably tell the whole story in a hundred issues. So, uh, like I said, I'm about to put out thirteen, so I've got a long way to go. But if it if it keeps going the way that it is, um, then I don't think I'll have any problems emotionally or mentally or physically <laughs> getting <laughs> getting to a hundred issues. I've had uh, the the full story arc so there is an ending i do have an ending i think it's something super cool that has never uh, to my knowledge has never been done before um in in all of literature not to pat myself on the back or anything but uh um i think it's a really really cool ending a fun ending uh something that's kind of maybe takes a little left turn at the very end to be able to shock and surprise the reader but it also makes sense so i i've had the 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 full story arc planned out for a very, very long time, and all the little stories, the character beats, and all the little things that happen um, as we go, 
Um, I've got those planned out also. You, you'll notice if, if anybody reads issues 1 through 20, they'll start to, or 1 through 100, they'll start to see maybe little Easter eggs or little clues of things that I put in the first like, couple of issues. People go back to issue 2, they're reading issue 20, and they go back to issue 2, and they go, oh, I remember this little thing that they said or this little, you know, uh, this little Easter egg they put in, and he was referencing something you know, that's happening now in issue 20. So I hope those are little fun things that um, people do catch up on uh, as, as the series goes on. And I, and I plan on putting more and more and more of those things in there that are just, uh, uh, I hope, uh, keep the reader interested and keep them uh, wanting to be able to read more. So I'm going to just ask, then I was going to ask this question a little bit later after talking about a few of your other projects, but since we're on the, on the topic of writing, can you explain to the listeners what's your writing process like? Do you kind of rough draft things out on paper, um, post-it note method of kind of putting down ideas and moving them around the table like some authors I know do? Or how do you go about mapping things out? I'm very much a list guy. So if I, I always have my sketchbook or I'll have a, um, just a, a notebook or a binder or something of all of the, I've got a binder of the, my next five or six projects that I'm working on. And there'll always be uh, thumbnails and rough drafts and, and uh, things like that. So what I do is I, if I come up with a plan or an idea or a plot for a story, I'll just write down the basic idea of the plot. And if I have a beginning or I have a middle or I have an end, I'll just jot it down. And then I'll kind of draw out characters to kind of get a feel for the characters and what, um, how they would react in these situations. Um, what, what brought them to the situation that I'm, you know, that is the, the ultimate uh, climax of the story. Um, and, uh, and then I'll start to really go step by step and figure out how do you get from point A to point B? How do they get from where they are to where eventually I want them to get to uh, in the story? I was about to say it usually happens fairly quickly. Sometimes it does not. Sometimes I'll write something out and I'll say a little plot points or uh, check marks of things that I want to have happen. And two weeks later, I'll go, no, no, that's horrible. And I'd erase it and I'll, or I'll scratch it out and I'll say, this is what I want to have happen. So um, it very much is a process. And I try to, um, outside of The Offspring, I have mm-hmm. other multiple books out, uh, uh, four issue miniseries, one-shots. I'm going to be working on some one-shots after I get issue 13 of The Offspring done. So it's always kind of like a process where I know that I will get to this book. Um, I always try to make sure that if I'm plotting another book, I plot it, I do that work for an hour, close the binder, I walk away from it, I go back to what I need to do. So I'm so my brain is in a clutter of a million different stories I want to tell, always focusing on the one I've got going and then having that one in the background, but ready to go so I know that I've got a good baseline for whatever it is I want that story to, to be. Uh, from there, I, I usually, once I have the story ready to go, I thumbnail it. Um, the really th- small thumbnails just to get the idea of the page. Um, and usually it'll go through some rewrites um, in there uh, when I start to see the visuals that I, that I want to have happen. And then from there, pencils, inks, colors, letters, covers, and printing. Just as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was going to mention uh, with some of your projects, you're kind of a one-man show. You do writing, art, lettering, you do it all. What's some of the pros and cons to, to having that set up? Um, some of the pros is that I get to, from beginning to end, from conception to final product, I am in complete control of it. 
Um, there's no conversations. There's no arguing about, I don't think that character would do this, or I don't think that character would do that, or, or I want this to happen, or I want that to happen. It's, it's me telling the story that, that I want to tell. Some of the cons are, you know, as a creative, as a creative person, I like to be able to bounce ideas off other people, uh, have that sounding board. And um, my wife is, is really good at letting me talk, but um, <laughs> but she's not she's not a creative person. Like I said, I'll talk to her about, well, what do you think about this? And she'll go, oh, that sounds great. And I'll say, well, no, no, I need a little more back and forth. So I'll have to call up uh, you know, one of my brothers or, or a friend of mine and say, hey, hey, what do you think about this? So one of the, the cons is knowing that even though I dig it, um, hoping with fingers crossed that other people will also dig it. You know, I try to remind myself that uh, there, uh, there are a lot of people out there that really like Star Wars, but there are a lot of people out there that really hate Star Wars. <laughs> so I, in the end, put out something that I would enjoy reading, that I have enjoyed putting together and creating, um, and hoping that other people like it also. So um, some of the other cons are just the, the time. If it's a book that I am doing everything on, um, it's a long process from from... Uh, script to thumbnails to pencils, inks, colors, and letters. Um, and I've gotten it down to kind of a science. Um, I try to organize my time pretty well. I can get an issue of The Offspring done. Uh, if everything goes to plan, I can get it done in about two months, which I think is is pretty darn good for, for what I've heard from some other indie creators. So I, but there's always times when, you know, I can't get to it for whatever reason. It can be maybe a month and a, or two and a half months, you know it, as an indie creator, it happens, and you try to be flexible. But uh, um, yeah, there's always uh, things that you kind of wish. Oh man, I wish I had somebody to cover this uh, book so I could move, so I could get to the pencils for the next book. Um, but that's not always um, um, a feasible uh, thing to have happen. So I just try to to make sure that I'm always pushing forward. So one of those other projects that I wanted to discuss with you is a noir thriller called Shady Lady. Could you give us a little bit of insight as to why you were inspired to create this tale? Um, you know, it really comes from a lot of the social discourse that we have now, the social problems that we have, political, social. Um, it seems to be that people don't listen to other people, uh, especially if they think that they, that other person is an ism or a thing that they are not. So whether you're a conservative or, or a liberal, or whether you're a Republican or, or a Democrat or whatever it is, there doesn't seem to be any wiggle room. For, uh, for a lot of people, they are attached to their thing, and there is no moving them, no matter what they hear, no matter what facts, no matter whatever it is. So, and I think a lot of the reason that I came to the Shady Lady is I, I wanted to kind of show some of that, those social problems and kind of do my own take on um, how someone's opinion or someone's feelings don't counteract or aren't more important than facts. So I created this character who is a very flawed character. Uh, she is a, a the female protagonist is very flawed, has issues of her own, has problems that she uh, is trying to overcome in her life. And I really don't share those problems till the very end. And she's trying to move through her life in New York City, um, but also seeing other people that need help and not ignoring it um, and not not just walking past and saying, that's not my problem. 
but um, confronting those problems head on. And um, and really, quite honestly, just kind of sticking it to um, the people that maybe are causing more problems than need to be had in our society. So, um, and at the end of the story, you start to realize her issue and how she has kind of manipulated certain aspects of her life to be able to, to try to give herself a little bit of closure with a mm-hmm. problem with an issue that she has in her life. So it was, it was really something that, that came out of the headlines um, and said, I, I think I can use some of this stuff to tell a pretty good story about a normal person, no superpowers or anything like that, just a normal person who is trying to fix their problems while also noticing and acknowledging the problems of others. Yeah, that you know, I think that that's a that's a great avenue for all uh, artists, all creators. Is if you can use something that's happening in the world and kind of maybe shine a light on it um, and, and get people to pay attention to it, you know. And I because I, I you know I do I'm a fan of the Twilight Zone, and I think that that or the original the original did a fantastic job of doing that. So I think anytime a creator can do that, that's just like that, that's a next level type of like props to that individual. Yeah, that's very much in Twilight Zone, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, we're, we're very much, like if you read Shady Lady, you'll see the influences there, especially with the with the ending that's like that Burgess Meredith on the, the library steps and he drops, uh, <laughs> no spoilers, that's only 70 years old, but he, he breaks his glasses <laughs> and says, now I had time to read, you know, there's definitely that twist um, ending at the end that kind of like, oh, that's, that's, know kind of blows me away how this person manipulated this whole thing to be able to have that one outcome um mm-hmm. or at least i hope that's what people think when they when they see it so um yeah definitely influenced by hitchcock twilight zone all that stuff i'm gonna interrupt my conversation with david for just one moment to talk to you about world's greatest comics they're the one-stop shop for all of your comic book related needs They've got single issues, collections, graphic novels, comic book supplies, toys, collectibles, back issues, and they have one world-class pool system. So if you don't want to miss a single issue of your favorite comic, sign up for the pool system, and guaranteed when that book hits the racks, it'll be pulled and held for you until you come and pick it up. So check them out online at WGComics.com or find them on Facebook. Just search for at WGComics or better yet, stop by the store. They're located at 5974 Westerville Road in Westerville, Ohio. And let them know that you heard about the store from me, John Orlando, right here on the PVD cast. Um, the Last Ride to Tyburn is a Western that you uh, created. Can you tell a little bit uh, about that book, please? Yeah, it's my first novel. I'm in the process of writing my second novel right now. Um, but it, it's the first novel that I wrote that, wrote, uh, that I sat down and, and really wanted to write a Western with all the things that I would want to see in a Western. And my, you know, I kind of made the joke and my wife makes the joke that I'm the only person that would want to write their first novel in a dead genre. Uh, but, uh, cause not many people read Westerns anymore, you know, not many uh, movies or TV shows or Westerns anymore. And, um, and it's just always been a genre that I've loved to read and watch and, and there was something that I had a story for that I thought would be um, a good story to be able to write my first book on. I think it's really fun. The protagonist is uh, is a kind of like a, the Clint Eastwood type character, but with, I think, a little bit more humanity than I think like the Man With No Name series. Um, a little bit more humanity, a little bit more 
clumsiness in some areas. Uh, so he's a little bit more reachable as a, as a protagonist. And his cast of characters that circle around him, I think, are, are I tried to make them so grounded in reality uh, that when the weird stuff happens, um, you believe it, the reader believes it. And it's, again, one of those uh, flawed protagonists with flawed everybody around him. And, and on some level, the bad guy in the story, you, um, even though they're doing terrible things, they're, they're doing things that no person should ever really want to do. Once they kind of explain why, you, you maybe think, uh, okay, I, there's a little bit of me that agrees, that agrees with them. Um, so it's really creating that graze instead of a black and white situation where it's, where it's there's the good guy and there's the bad guy. You create these grays in between them. Um, and I think for my first book, I think it went really well. I think it's entertaining. It's got fun. It's got shootouts. It's got horseback riding. It's got it's explosions. It's got everything you want in a Western. But again, with a little uh, twists in and out here that's, that's making it a little bit different than any Western I've ever read or seen. Have you received any feedback from anybody that's picked up the book? Because I, yeah. if I remember correctly, it's available through your website. It's also available on Amazon, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I love feedback, positive, negative. Um, and there, you know, every time I get any kind of feedback, I always absorb, I thank the person. I always absorb it. I, I you know, um, it's one of those things where you try to take it from a place of, even if it's, feedback that you hate to hear you take it from a place of of how can i use that to make myself better most of the feedback i've got from the last ride of tiger has been very very positive there are just some people out there who don't like westerns <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so it's kind of like oh well if you don't like western why did you read a western <laughs> so, uh, so uh but but i mean most of the feedback i've gotten is very positive love the little twists and turns of people love the little character moments just like i loved writing them uh, so I think there's a lot of, of positive things in there. Uh, this, I think the story arc as a whole, um, I think, like I said, is is really solid and something that maybe people haven't seen in the Western. Well, let's talk about a graphic novel that you uh, helped to create called The Loved Ones. Um, and the tale focuses on a monster hunter by the name of Bastian Van Arkslander, who must kind of save and mentor a group of kids. Um, you did the art for it, but it was penned by Brian Menard. Um, how did you get involved with this project? Did you so, do you know Brian or yeah? Was it yeah? Okay. Brian and I had worked with a couple small press companies here and there, and just became friendly and and um, kind of kept in touch um, here and there, talking about projects that we were working on, whatever. And I had this idea for a graphic novel, and I was right in the middle of writing three other books. So um, I called Brian up and I said, hey, I've got this concept. Um, and I did a little, little write-up, a little outline of, of you know, the, the major uh, points that I wanted to get out in the story, um, but didn't really have the whole story ready to go. And I said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in jumping on board with me? And, and uh, he read the concept and immediately said, yes, let's do this. And within, I think, three days, he had, had a, got a script up. And this is one of those you know, think times where, where that bounce back between creative people is really, really good. Read the script and said, hey, let's try this, this, and this. And I, you know, gave him a time to get some rewrites and he gave it back to me with rewrites. And within a week, we, we had the script ready to go. And I was so proud of the, the um, of just that initial concept that I come over and Brian had really created these four main characters 
um, that are really fully fleshed, fully fleshed out human beings who you relate to and you and they're they're not again then it's not the black and white or the good guy or the bad guy it's a very much a story about nurture versus nature and they uh these four main characters that are essentially i mean some would say kidnapped some would say uh rescued by the main character the main monster hunter van arts you know and it really depends on how you look at it how this monster hunter really manipulated these four um these four main characters uh, into doing what he thought was right instead of what maybe goes and then some of that would go against their their nature as who they are as characters so the, so there's a lot of back and forth uh, between that like you know i shouldn't do this but this is who this is who i am this is for generations this you know my people have done this kind of thing um and not to give anything away but i, I think that um, these four characters really grow and change throughout the the whole arc of the hundred pages but also, um, there's still that black and white of morality of why do you say it's wrong when people where I come from say it's completely not wrong kind of a thing. So it's again, it's a playing with that morality, playing with nurture versus nature. And, um, and I, I'm super proud of that. And it's a, it's a, if you like classic movie monsters, you know, like Dracula, Swamp Thing, um, uh, Frankenstein's monster, that kind of stuff, you, I think you really, really like this story. Um, it's in black and white because we wanted it to have that feel of those old black and white monster movies uh, that I loved watching growing up at uh, way too late at night when I should have been in bed. It's uh, midnight or one o'clock. <laughs> so um, so it's, it was a really good story. I'm so proud of the way that, uh, that it came out with Brian driving in my art. And uh, uh, I just hope that um, uh, more people get a chance to pick it up and read it because I think it's really worth it. Well, let's transition to uh, a different genre, and let's t talk a little bit about your science fiction book, Evolution Utero, a tale about a young lady named Jenny and her unborn child. Um, so you worked with uh, a different creative team for this particular book. So you want to tell us a little bit about that uh, team? Yeah, I was lucky enough to work with a few colorists um, in this case. For, for the first couple issues of Offspring, I had a great colors, Jason Silvestri, who helped me out, and he had to go off and do other things. I completely understood. I said, "Hey, it's time for me to maybe do this uh, on my own." Um, but uh, there was a couple um, people that came in to help me cover. Uh, it's still me writing, me drawing, uh, penciling, and inking, and me lettering. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple people came in, and Patricia Lupe was one of them that came in to help me out. I haven't uh, heard from Patricia in a while. She's a great colorist, and we've done a couple of other small things together in the last few years. Um, but I think her colors and, and my art really, really um, came together and it really, really looked good uh, in the story. The story itself is one, again, that nurture versus nature idea. Um, and like you said, the main character is uh, Jenny Anaba, and she is the kind of person that you would never really want to meet. Um, she is selfish and mean, some would say. Uh, she only cares about herself. Even her friends around her kind of know that she's kind of in it for herself. And I thought to myself, you know, the old phrase, uh, some people were just born to be a hero or they were born to be a good person or born to be a hero. And I thought, well, what if you took a person who clearly did not care about being anybody's hero, clearly only cared about themselves, and got thrust upon them a super-powered baby? And then, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, well, wait a minute, why does it have to be a baby? Why not have the change occur before the baby's even born? 
So the, the fetus inside of her starts to grow and starts to develop. She starts to notice these weird things happening uh, to the fetus, and she's scared. Obviously, she's a you know a young uh, single mother, so she's scared enough as it is. But then when she starts seeing these weird things happening, um, it really starts to freak her out. Uh, and then when it starts to change her emotionally, she has to decide whether these emotional changes are good um, or bad and how she wants to move forward with this superpowered fetus growing inside of her. And it's, it really is, again, that, that gray area where do you do the right thing even though it's harder or do you make your life easier and just ignore it? Um, and I think that's one of the, the uh, character arcs that Jenny goes through throughout the, the first uh, four, four issue, which is four issue miniseries, um, and maybe doesn't end up making the decision that you'd expect her to make. Uh, so, which opens up to a whole bunch of other stories that I'm hoping to get to in the near future. <laughs> yeah, you, you. I just was going to mention that volume one is out if you wanted to get the collection. And, and one of my questions was, is there a volume two coming soon? And you just said that once you get around to it, you got a plenty of other tales for yeah, this is uh, my, Jenny and this, this is, character. Yeah, this is my Back to the Future type thing. Uh, I always I wanted to set it up to where it was a, a it was a, a full story. You, you got the story, you know what happened, but it sets up um, that to be continued Back to the Future, DeLorean flying through the right at you on the screen moments. Um, and I think I, I think I did pretty good on that last page to be able to show where I was going to go with it um, in the next uh, the next story arc. Um, and I like I said, I've got I've got uh, four of them. Uh, the first uh, story arc was already out with the conception, and then the next ones are going to go. And she's not even going to have the baby in the next uh, four issue miniseries. So I'm really milking that for as much as I possibly can because I've got a plan on where I want her to actually uh, have the baby, um, and it is the worst possible place that you would ever want to give birth to a child. Oh. So, uh, so again, it's one of those things where I've got it all planned out. It's it's written down. It's just a matter of finding the time to, to get it all out. And uh, that book, as well as all of your other books, uh, are available through not only your website, but also Amazon, correct? Yes, there, there are links to my book at correcthandedcomics.com. Um, my novel, all of my comic books, graphic novels, one-shots that we've got out, they're all right there in uh, correcthandedcomics.com to find links. You can find me on my uh, Amazon author page also if you just Google uh, correcthanded and Wayla. Or, I'm sorry, not Google, in Amazon search. Uh, Whalen and uh, correct handed comics and it'll pop right up. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about yourself, David. Um, let's, uh, you know, get to, get to know you a little bit better. You started your career off as a graphic artist and then you switched to art education. Uh, what was the catalyst for making this switch? So I um, got my associate's degree uh, from a community college in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, worked as a graphic designer because so I worked in uh, worked in restaurants also for for about you know, seven eight years. I was doing that and uh, kind of realized that um, it wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. And maybe I wasn't mature enough to get there doing the things that I was doing. Um, so my brother was getting out of military, and we had driven down to Florida together to go see a few concerts and visit some friends. And uh, he. We were just on the beach in West Palm Beach and said, hey, I think when I get out of the military, I'm going to move to West Palm Beach. Do you want to move with me? And I said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So about uh, three months later, I had everything packed up in my, my crummy old car. And my brother had already moved down there. The military had moved him down there. So I uh, packed all my belongings that I hadn't sold to make money for the move. 
uh, down. And, and I lived with my brother in West Palm Beach for, for about four or five months, uh, working as, again, a graphic designer and working in restaurants. Um, and kind of unfortunately got into the same kind of rhythm that I had in Ohio. Um, and then uh, fortuitously, probably, I met my soon-to-be wife. And we met and kind of became inseparable. And, and uh, she never pressured me to do anything other than what I was doing. We were just having a good time and, and, uh, um, and spending time together. And, and I decided that, you know, maybe it's time to grow up a little bit. So I said, okay, I've got my associate's degree. I've always wanted to teach art. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to get my, my bachelor's degree. So I went to Florida Atlantic University, got my bachelor's degree, and started teaching in Florida. Taught for about two years in Florida and loved it. High school art teacher. Uh, I loved it. It was great. The kids were great. The school was great. The, 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 the atmosphere was great. Um, and then uh, we had some family issues where my wife had asked me if we could move to upstate New York where she grew up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, family always comes first. So I said, yeah, well, we have to do it. Let's do it. So we moved up to upstate New York about, gosh, it's got to be my son was two, so it's maybe 12 years ago now. Um, and we, I still had my teaching degree, had my certificate in Florida, taken all the, or from uh, New York, I'd taken all the tests and had um, uh, substituted and worked again in restaurants. But by then, we had, I was married with two children. So, uh, so it wasn't goofing around. It was putting food on the table kind of thing. Uh, so about two years into that, I, I got my job that I have now. So I've been there for about 10 years. Great, uh, a great group of teachers, great group of students, great community to be able to teach elementary art at. And about five years ago, I said, "Why am I not drawing the comic books that I'm that I want to draw?" So I started putting together uh, some of my scripts and some of my sequentials, and started looking for small press books that would, uh, small press companies that would want to put it out. And then, as I did some small press stuff here and there, uh, some you know nine pagers, an issue of something here, uh, anthology story there. Um, I had, I think, acquired, I, in my mind, acquired enough knowledge and just said, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm not going to hand over my stuff to any small press company that might not be around in a year. Um, I know I'm going to be around in a year. So Correct Hand of Comics was born, and, and we've got, you know, something for everybody. Ongoing, one-shots, graphic novels, four-issue miniseries novels, um, and, and it's uh, been uh, challenging uh, but fun, and I, I don't think I'd want to do it any other way. It's been it's been a great experience putting this stuff together. Were you always a creative kid? Like, were you always writing stories and drawing comics and stuff like that? Yes, to my detriment. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was the kid that would be yelled after drawing on his math homework. Um, and, I, and I just said, well, I mean, I've got a pencil in my hand. What else am I going to do with it? And uh, my math teacher said, your math homework. And I said, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. So... <laughs> Uh, and then my, my parents realized that if they got me a sketchbook and let me put the sketchbook next to my math homework, then that would help me focus a little bit. And I would actually get some math homework done in between doodling in my sketchbook. So um, I was really lucky to have parents that realized that, uh, uh, that the, the way to get me to learn was through art. The way to get me to read was through art. Um, the way to get me to understand history and math and science was through the art that I was creating, the art that I was learning about from just my own my own research, going to the library and, and reading comic books and all that stuff. So I, I was definitely one of those kids that um, drew characters and, and kind of got my friends, hey, let's make a comic book. And they were like, oh, okay. And then two pages into it, they'd give up. And then I'd have 40 more pages ready to go. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was definitely that kid that was, um, I wouldn't call myself a troublemaker. I, I don't think I had any malice in my actions, but uh, um, I was definitely a kid that it was creating a universe in my brain. And sometimes that universe would conflict with the real world around me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are obviously a fan of comics. As you said, you were always you know, going to the library and reading comics and whatnot. So can I ask, which are your favorites? Um, heroes or individual books or? Uh, uh, let's go both. How about superheroes okay. and maybe some individual books? So my favorite all-time hero, and it's pretty generic, unfortunately, or fortunately, is Superman. You know, just the idea is, is of the lone dude, the guy that, uh, um, that got the job done. You know, that uh, I think I learned more about morality from Superman than I did any other any other thing in the history of, of my life. So um, Superman, I would say, is my all-time favorite. Second, really close second, is Ted Ford Blue Beetle. Um, I felt like growing up that everybody else says, you know, nobody can be Superman, but you could be Batman. And as a kid, I thought, no, you can't be Batman. Do you have a bazillion dollars? You don't have a bazillion dollars. You can't be Batman. But I could be Ted Ford. Could be Bull Beetle. That's that's a that's a reachable goal. So um, so I uh, really enjoyed his his first run uh, in these comics. This was in the early '80s, um, and then all of the stuff in uh, in the uh, Wahaha uh, era of Justice League uh, of America when him and and uh, Michael Carter. Um, Booster Gold were put together is kind of like the, the dynamic duo of comedy uh, for the just, that Justice League era. Um, and uh, the final crisis where he, spoilers, where he gets shot in the head by Maxwell Ward. I thought that was a great book into his story and who he was and how he was never taken quite seriously. Um, and, uh, and now they've brought him back in other, other aspects, obviously. But uh, he, was a, he was always a, a, the guy that was, was nipping at Superman's heels to be my favorite because he was me. He could have been me. Um, and I think that's what makes comics great. When you can relate to the character. You want to be Superman, but you could really be Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, and that's what really brought me to him. Um, as far as the, the my favorite books, Crisis has always been. I love the scope of Crisis, Infinity, uh, the Infinity of Secret Wars, Infinity Gauntlet, all that stuff. I love the scope um, and the weaving in and out of those uh, characters before the you know before the Marvel movies and all that. And stuff which I love the movies, um, but it doesn't quite cut it, it doesn't quite make it as grandiose as the comic books because there's no budget, you can draw anything, right? Um, in right, my mind, they did, they weren't confined, not that they're confined now, it's amazing what they can do, but um, they with the story and the aspects of the story that were left out of the movie, I thought were uh, really, really good, but um, really, I, there wasn't much that I didn't like growing up. I would read everything from Archie. To, to Mighty Mouse, to Superman, to um, to Heroes in Love in the uh, the early nineties. So um, um, so yeah, trying to read as much as I can now. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to, to keep up with it all. Oh yeah, I agree. It's very very hard to keep up with all the new stuff that's coming out, and and it's also sometimes challenging to get everything read. That you, <laughs> I'm I'm notorious for having a read pile that may or may not have books in there that I bought in 2015. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. That's exactly my situation. I'll buy trades. I, I don't really buy individual issues anymore. Um, because yeah, I same here. I'm going to be able to get to the comic book store again. So, um, so yeah, I'll buy trades and I'll uh, burn through them um, and then I'll study them, which is what I did as a kid. I'd burn through the story, 
read really fast and I'll go back and I'll look at each panel and I'll study it and I'll, oh, that was, that's an interesting angle that they took on that. And it inspired me to want to uh, not just be an artist, but also write. So it really kind of set in motion the, the idea of I'm now going to start writing stories and I'm going to start drawing them and I'm going to put them all together and it's going to be an engine. All right. Well, we're getting up to about uh, our time limit here, David. So let me ask one final question. Then we'll plug social media, website, and all that jazz. I know you've talked a little bit about some new projects coming up. Is there anyone that you would like to really kind of hype up and, and let the listeners know that they got to keep an eye out for it? Yeah. So um, after the issue 13 of The Offspring comes out, that's going to be season one. I'm going to collect that into a trade, volume three trade with issues 11, 12, and 13, I'm also going to put in that trade paperback, Shady Lady. So you're going to get three issues of The Offspring and one issue one uh, issue of Shady Lady, which is a one-shot. Um, so that's going to be a trade paperback that's coming out, I'm hoping, by uh, Halloween. Uh, then after that, my focus is uh, to get at least three one-shots out before Christmas. So one at Halloween, one at Thanksgiving, one at Christmas. One is a probably the most traditional superhero tale I've ever done, but in a very non-traditional way. It takes all the tropes, the superpowers, the, the costumes, the, the, um, the uh, uh, ultra-egos, the, you know, the loved ones being in danger, and kind of turns it on its head. Um, and it's one shot that I think is going gonna, is gonna to be really, really cool. I've started, I'm actually penciled three or four pages into it, and I love it, and I think that um, it's going to be great. That's going to be called um, I Won't Stop. Um, and the, the hero's name Spiral. If that gives you, uh, if that name gives you any indication of what's going to happen to that character in the 24 pages of that issue. So um, that's coming out hopefully before Halloween. I've got another one shot coming out as a teacher. Um, it's amazing to me where sometimes the ideas just come. Uh, I was walking around my classroom and I uh, had second graders around me and we were all doing our stuff and we were, you know, they were drawing and I was helping and we were talking and and the, the thought came to my brain, what would happen if aliens were to invade, invade right now? What would I, how would I, what would I do? How would I take care of all these second graders? And with, by the end of the day on that day, I had the story written and I had some pages already penciled out. So, um, so that's my next one shot. I've got another uh, third one shot coming out by Christmas. I'm not quite ready to talk about that one yet, but, uh, um, and I don't have a name for the alien invasion one yet. I've got a couple ideas, but I think I could do better. So I uh, um, so I'm holding off on telling the names of that one. Um, once that once I get those things done by uh, Christmas, I plan on having season one issues one through thirteen of the Offspring in one big volume omnibus season one uh, with new covers, new uh, behind the scenes stuff, all that stuff to be able to have that out um, before Christmas time. So a perfect gift for those indie comic or just comic lovers to be able to have a little stocking stuffer with that by January. I've actually got a, been lucky enough to, to acquire a new colorist, uh, uh, Chris uh, McCauley, who is a colorist. He's worked um, uh, for Marvel. He's worked for Boom. He's, he's actually worked for Disney on some storyboarding stuff for second season of Mandalorian. Uh, very lucky to be able to get in contact with him. And he uh, saw what I was doing with The Offspring and loved it and said, hey, if you want a colorist, I'm ready to go. Um, and I said, let's do it. So we worked out what you know how we were going to do it, and and uh, he's a writer also. So we're going to work out some really cool stuff also coming up in 2021. Uh, so starting with issue 14 in January, which is going to be season two of The Offspring, 
Um, I've got brand new colors, and his colors are, are man, they are dynamic. And I think it's really going to take golf swing to the next level. So, uh, so lots going on uh, for the next six months. And somewhere in there, I will try to be a teacher, a husband, and a dad. <laughs> Probably not in that order. Probably not in that order. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do have a busy schedule. Do you have any, and I, and I know with, with COVID, there hasn't been too many of these. Do you have any personal appearances coming up um, that you'd like to plug? Or is the calendar pretty much just wide open? Yeah, I um, like I said, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and things like that. Um, I have a bunch of different podcasts that I'm doing in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, it's really hard to organize all those things, so I don't even know if I can give any dates or names of them right now. But I know I've got three or four coming up. I would say just um, make sure you go to my Facebook page at Correct Handed Comics, um, and I always post, you know, where I'm going to be. Or at least that I'm going, that I've been at that place uh, for people to be able to hear it, either whether it's live or after the fact. Um, so uh, always, all that stuff is always going to be communicated on my Facebook page at Correct Handed Comics. And your website is correcthandedcomics.com. So uh, you know, there's another avenue to not only get your books, but to get all the news and information that fans might want to know about for you and your projects, David. All right. Well, David, anything else you want to talk about here real quick as we're getting real close to the end of our time here? I think we did it, John. Again, thank you very much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I love your podcast, and I, I really appreciate you giving me the time to be able to talk with you. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. And on the other side of the break, I'll be back to wrap up the episode. there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with David Whalen, the man behind Correct Handed Comics. And uh, definitely check out his stuff over on his website, correcthandedcomics.com, or on Facebook, just look for at Correct Handed Comics. Um, You know, he puts in a lot of hard work, as you heard in our conversation. And so stop on by his uh, website, pick up an issue of The Offspring or Shady Lady or any of his catalog and I'm sure David will appreciate it. I think it's about time for me to let you know where you can contact me if you have any questions about this episode or any episode of the PVD cast. Well, you can find me on Twitter. My personal Twitter handle is at PVDMVP. You can shoot me an email if you like, johnorlando at pvdcast.com, or you can leave me a message over on the Facebook page or the Instagram feed for this podcast. Just look for at PVD cast. And I should let you know where you can get your hands or ears, as the case may be, on this podcast. It's available through the online home of yours truly, which is pvdcast.com, but it's also distributed through all of those major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Just search for it in your favorite podcasting platform search engine. Look for PVDCast. Sometimes you have to put my name after it, PVDCast John Orlando, and you'll be sure to find it. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, every Monday night at 8 p.m. through the Facebook page for the PVDCast, I do a live broadcast. So make sure when you're over at Facebook and you find the PVDCast page, you like it so you never miss a live broadcast. It's lots of fun, so come on over every Monday night at 8 p.m., 
on the Facebook page for the PVD cast and enjoy that live broadcast. All right, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get on out of here. Thank you very much for listening, and I will chat at each and every one of you later. Stay righteous, stay independent, and stay safe and healthy. been a production of John Orlando Enterprises LLC copyright 2020 Hey this is Don Smith from the Life Radio show if you've always wanted to learn more about the world of low budget filmmaking and even lower budget comedy tune into the Life Radio show you can live stream the show at wwsu1069.org on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Or find us wherever you find podcasts and like and follow the Life Radio Show on Facebook for live video and other shenanigans. 